Are we on here? There we go. You know, before I get started, I just want to uh, say that uh, Sheila and I have uh, enjoyed these uh, three Sundays that we've got to spend with you while uh, your pastor and family are on vacation. Uh, it's just fun to see everyone, and it's been a special time for us, and so I just uh, I want to thank you for putting up with us, and uh, I want to thank your pastor for giving us the opportunity. And You know, after singing that song, I just think we can say amen and go home. Uh, but they didn't invite me to say something, so I'm going to throw a few things in there. But, I mean, isn't that a powerful creed? Just, I mean, that's the statement of faith, you know, that I hope that everybody here is, you know, able to say, yes, that's, that's my statement of faith. I, I, I believe that. Well, when uh, Pastor Tim invited me to speak, I, I wanted to put together a, a kind of a little piece that kind of built upon each other. And so we have been doing this series called Facing Your Giants. And uh, we've, we've looked at a couple of the giants uh, in our lives, and we're going to kind of follow along that today. You know, the most uh, sacred symbol in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and somebody here may know this, is a tree. Are you aware of that? Now, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a, a great tree. It's not the greenest tree uh, it's not the thickest tree, it's not the tallest tree, uh, but it's a, it's a very meaningful tree to them, uh, because this tree, go ahead and bring that picture up, just, uh, this tree survived the Oklahoma bombing. Now, I don't know if you remember that, but Timothy McVeigh, you know, he, uh, he drove his truck, you know, his death-laden truck up close to uh, the federal building there, and this tree was right next to it. And as a result of that, there were uh, 168 people killed, uh, 850 people uh, were wounded. The, uh, you, know, you can see the damage that was done to the uh, federal building there. And uh, this tree that was close by was just buried in debris. And, uh, you know, they figured the, the tree was a goner. Matter of fact, uh, I, I want to read to you this one account because I think it's so descriptive. The force of the blast ripped most of the branches from the tree. Glass and debris were embedded in its trunk, and fire from the cars parked beneath it blackened what was left of the tree. Most thought the tree could not survive. However, almost a year later, it began to bloom again. In that instant, the tree became a symbol of what the city had come through, a life resurrection from an acre of death. And so they gave the elm tree the name, the survivor tree. You know, there are Timothy McVeigh's. There are giants like that that for unexplainable reasons work mayhem. You know, they just do uh, evil things. And, uh, you know, this tree can really, uh, it can be a symbol for us. It can be, a, uh, you know, an image of, you know, surviving difficulty, surviving serious, you know, difficulty and rising above the ruin and, and, and having a life that goes on. And, and uh 
And I want to talk about that. We have been, you know, in this series, and, and I want to look at another passage today from the life of David and uh, see if we can't, you know, take some inspiration and some understanding from it on how we can survive some of the really challenging things in life. Um, so would you pray with me? Father, I just want to lift up our time together, Lord. Uh, just thank you for your word, Lord. Your, uh, your word is so inspirational to us, Lord. There are so many stories that we can learn from. Lord, there are stories that we can see our story in. And, uh, Lord, that you have done that intentionally, uh, uh, both so that we can know you better and so we can understand a little better what's going on in our lives and have a way to walk through those, way, those things in a, in a triumphal kind of way. And so, Lord, be with us this morning. Lord, those that are feeling far, would you, would you draw them near, Lord? And, and would you encourage us this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 24, so uh, go ahead and invite you to turn there, and um, <clears throat> I'll kind of uh, tie it in. We have, uh, when we, uh, you know, last left, uh, you know, David, uh, we had uh, Saul filled with envy, trying to take him out, right? Trying to take his life, and... Uh, and in the next couple chapters, because we were in chapter 22, there's this back and forth between David coming close to Saul and then Saul trying to take his life again, and David coming in and then Saul trying to take his life and then eventually figuring out, you know what, this isn't going to work, you know, and, and, and Jonathan intervenes and says, you know what, my dad is not, you know, he's the, the prince, I mean, he's the son my, my, my dad's heart is not going to change towards you, and so David has to take off, and he begins to journey through the desert. And as he uh, journeys through the desert, just getting away from King Saul, um, he begins to gather people to him. Uh, his family gathers to him. Um, there are, you know, disenchanted uh, men that begin to, you know, gather around him. And, um, and, and these people will eventually become what the Bible describes as David's mighty men. But right now, they're kind of a, a ragamuffin, rough group of guys that are kind of uh, learning some leadership. You know, they're, they're, they're learning how to do life. And, and, uh, and so he comes to this place called En Gedi. Um, it is a, uh, En Gedi says, uh, means this uh, spring of a goat. It's a perfect hideout for David. It's, it's out in the desert, but there is a natural spring there, and there's some waterfalls, and there's some vegetation, and then there are the, 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 the lime uh, cliffs that go along the ridge, you know, just above the Dead Sea. There's all kinds of caves along the way in them. And so where we pick up is uh, that David and, and his, uh, you know, his... His group is, you know, this rough group of people that are following him. They're, they're hiding out there. And uh, so we're going to pick it up there, and uh, I'm going to read through um, chapter 24 for you. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told that David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Uh, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave there was there, and, and Saul went into to relieve itself, himself. And uh, David and his men, they were in the back of the cave. 
Uh, the men said, this is the day the Lord uh, has spoke when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. They're speaking to David. And then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift up my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. When David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked uh, behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father... Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, From evildoers come evil deeds, and so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing, a a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be your judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good that you did to me. The Lord delivered me from your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way that you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. And so David gave an oath to Saul, and then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. You know, what a unique situation. You know, Saul and his army, they're out there pursuing David and, and uh, you know, the situation where they stop along the way so he can relieve himself in the cave. And, you know, David and his men are hiding there. And, all right, David, this is your chance. You know, you can take him out. You Look what he's been doing to you. He's been trying to kill you. He's thrown a sword at you so many times. He's sent other people for you. You know, th- this is his chance. And, you know, what does David do? He cuts off the edge of his robe, and then he feels bad about it. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, that's, that's an unusual way to handle something like that. 
Well, I want to talk with you today about risking subtle, uh, subtle temptation. You know, and 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 the reason I'm saying subtle temptation is 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 it's it's especially for us as Christians, it's it's not the big stuff; it's the little stuff. And 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 we wrestle with this stuff, and 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 what does that look like? And you know that that and for some of us, you know, temptation we would consider it a giant. There are things in our lives that every time we turn around, we we feel like there's this taunting or this enticement to do something that we we, we know we shouldn't do. And so let's let's look at David and kind of how he handled it and walked through it. And and I think one of the things that we need to realize is that when you're dealing with this uh, issue of temptation, that you're you're wrestling with guilt. You know, um, it says in verse 5 that David was conscience-stricken. I mean, here he had cut off the edge of his garment, and, and, and even though he had the opportunity to be justified in taking out his life, he didn't do it. And he's feeling really bad <laughs> about the little bit that he did do. Uh, and, uh, of course, his men, they're, you know, they're, hey, you know, it's just your chance. Go for it. Take them out. Uh, and, uh, and David's got this thing going on inside, you know, with his conscience. God's doing something and speaking to him, and, he, and, and he's, he's wrestling with it. Um, and, uh, and we have to be careful because that's sometimes when we're challenged and wrestling with uh, temptation and guilt and things like that, you're going to have people that come along and say, ah, that's no big deal. You know, you're justified. You know, I know what they did. I heard what they said, you know. And, and, and you got them kind of like David's guys where hey, you can take him out. Go for it. You know, and, and we'll have people, but there's something going on in us, our conscience. There's something going on inside. There's a, a tug of war. And we're going, no, I, I mean, I hear what you say, but it's just not right. You know, it's not what God would have us to do. And, and, and I think that God lets us wrestle sometimes there. It's not something that doesn't happen. He lets us wrestle. There, you know, it, it, there's a work that comes out of that process of feeling guilty about something and determining, you know, why and what and how I'm going to handle it. Jesus, when he was talking about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 8, he says, you know, the Spirit came. Uh, to give it the world in regard to you know righteousness, sin, and judgment. But that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit is is conviction of sin to to let us know when you know when we're you know a little bit off and and you know and we're struggling with it. Um, and I think that something that's important to remember is that when you and I are struggling with something, it doesn't mean the next person is struggling with something. You know. And they could be struggling with something that for you is no big deal. And you look at them like, oh, what's the big that's, you know, that's no big deal. And, and we need to be uh, sympathetic and give space to people and to ourselves when we are kind of wrestling with guilt or wrestling with kind of how to handle something, you know, what to do. Um, and, and realize that we're, we're not necessarily all going to be on the same page in terms of how we handle those things or, you know, how we respond to those kinds of things. What I've discovered in my life, and I think probably many of you have discovered in your life, is you continue your relationship with God. It's, it's not the big things. That's why I called it subtle temptations. It's not the temptation to murder somebody or to lie outright or cheat or steal, you know, the Ten Commandments, the really big ones. You know, uh, that, it's, it's, it's the small things. 
that you begin to struggle with. It's a, a sharp remark that you make, and then you walk away and you go, I, I'm not, that didn't come out right. I'm not sure that that was the best way to handle it. And, and you're the one that's, you know, carrying that with you. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, not returning uh, change or, or maybe keeping a ballpoint pen or embellishing a story. It can, it can be the little things that, you know, this kind of uh, struggle uh, goes on with. Um, and so for David, I mean, it's in a sense, it's a little thing. He just cut off the corner of his, you know, his robe. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't a big thing. He didn't take him out. He, he didn't stab him. He didn't lame him. He didn't, I mean, you know, all the stuff he did. But it was a little thing. But for him, you know, it, it became a big thing, and it bothered him. And we need to learn to listen to our conscience. And we need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. When we get these little tugs, or we get these little impressions like, ah, oh, that didn't come out right. You know, we, we need to be willing to take care of it or correct it or do whatever is necessary to kind of, you know, cleanse our conscience and, you know, be able to walk away and feel like you handled it right. There's a little story. I went to a church conference one time years ago. And, uh, you know, it's in a big auditorium and they're taking a break between sessions. And so, we you know, we all get a chance to leave the auditorium and go out and refresh ourselves, and as I'm coming through the doors, um, a guy comes up to me, and he hands me a watch. He says, I want you to have this. And I'm thinking, why does he want me to have this? I've, I've got my little sport watch on. I know what time it is. I didn't say that, I, you know, and, and I'm thinking, okay, we just came out of a conference. Somebody was speaking. The Holy Spirit's working in his life. Something's going on in his life that this watch for him has meaning. Maybe it's a place where, you know, God's got a hold of him or something's got a hold of him that's not God and God's trying to deal with it. I didn't know what it was. And so uh, I said, okay, thank you. I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what else to say. And I took it from him and stuck it in my pocket. When, uh, when I got home, I took it out of my pocket and threw it in my drawer, you know. And then a, a while later, I thought, you know, that's, that was really odd that he gave me his watch. I wonder what that's all about. And so I, I got the watch out and I looked at it and, it and it said on it, Gucci. I think, I think that's a, like a designer name. And uh, I went online and it was like a $500 watch. And that was years ago. I don't know what, you know. And, uh, and I thought, oh man, the Lord must, it, it's interesting. The Lord must have been dealing with him conscience-wise relating to possessions and things that he was putting value in. And he gives it to somebody who knows less and could care less about a piece of watch that has a name on it. I mean, you know, I'm just not wired that way. Um, but I knew enough that if God is working in somebody else's life, how can I be there to support that? And in this particular situation, it was simply to receive, not to argue with, not to ask why, not to say, I don't need that. I've got my own watch. Why are you giving away your watch? I mean, that's a, you know, on a real practical level, that's the way I would normally handle things. But, you know, and, and, and we need to realize that when, when friends, when spouses and family members are, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling with things to, to be there to support them, but to, to, to let God have that work and let them go through that wrestling 
with guilt. There's an appropriate place for that. Well, David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift up my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. So the next thing that we need to realize is then there is a choice. When you're wrestling with guilt, there's a choice to be made, and we need to choose right. We need to choose the righteous principle. We need to you know, choose, uh, you know, choose God's way in the process. You know, was Saul wrong in pursuing David and trying to kill him? We would all say, absolutely, he was wrong. Was it David's responsibility to make it right? And David would say, no, it's not my responsibility to make it right. That's God's job, right? You know, David realized that. You know, you know, it's 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 as if uh, you're in the military service and and you're taught to salute your you know your superiors. You're you're saluting the 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 rank, the position. You're not necessarily saluting the person. You can you could have a major walk in and be intoxicated, and you still salute him because you're you're saluting the rank. And it's kind of that thing. David's saying this this guy's king. God made him king. God can unmake him king. So until God unmakes him, I'm going to respect the place that he has. And that's, you know, that's what he's doing there. Um, and then David persuades his men, like, guys, this is not the way we're going. You're following me. We're not going to do it this way. We're not taking him out. Yes, God said I could do what I want, but I don't want to take him out. I'm, I'm not going to take him out. And he persuaded them to follow him, and you know, not to, not to, you know, go into conflict with the uh, with the army. And you know, you and I have that opportunity when we're wrestling with things, and we we have to choose, and we we make a right choice. You know, we have the opportunity to be an example. We have an opportunity to live a life that's going to to uh, you know honor God and and represent Him well, and not a prudish life, but an honest, authentic, obedient life, an infectious lifestyle that will, will have a positive impact for the, for the kingdom of God. So there is that point where uh, choice needs to be made. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in a while. So David wrestles with this guilt. He chooses right, and then he stands fast being confident in God. And that's what you see in verse 12. May the Lord judge between you and me. David puts his confidence in God and God's ability to carry out his word and to do what's right in the situation. Do you trust the Lord in your circumstances with difficulties and people to watch over you and to carry out his purposes uh, in your word? Uh, David's son Solomon later would write in Proverbs uh, 16.7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live in peace with him. So you say, okay, I'm going to put my confidence in God. Uh, I'm going to stand with the Lord. You realize that not everybody around you is going to stand with you. (laughs) Even Christians, sometimes, that when we get our eyes off God and we get our eyes on ourselves, it's really easy then to give counsel in terms of what we want, what we think's best, what works for us. And so there are, there are times that, you know, I mean, David stands alone here 
in choosing to follow. I mean, it was easy to stand alone against Saul, because that's the person coming against you, but he had to stand alone against the people that were with him, you know, and, and say, hey, you know, we're not doing that. This is, uh, this is the way we're going. Uh, he put his confidence in God. So how does he deal with it? Well, he, he speaks to Saul, and he tells him the truth. He just confronts him about what's transpiring. He says, you're after me. You're trying to kill me. You're listening to people that are saying, I, I'm a bad person. And that's not true. And the way that I can prove it's not true, these are the facts, is, uh, by the way, look at you know, your robe in the corner of it. Uh, I've got it right here in my hand. I could have taken your life, and I chose not to. I chose to let God take care of the situation. You know, and, but when it was all over, David and Saul didn't go away buddies. Okay, he, you, 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 you confront people with the truth of the situation, and then you go on, and you leave it in the Lord's hands. And that's challenging because a lot of times when we deal with issues, we, we want people to come around and see it from our perspective. And then once they see it from our perspective, we're all good buddies. And uh, it, oftentimes it does not work that way. But at least you had a chance to speak the truth and then to go on from there. And our tendency sometimes is, ah, just leave it alone, it'll all work out, without taking the time to speak the truth into the situation. Well, how, how's it all going to work out then if, if it hasn't been clarified, the positions of, of the two parties? So, so you know, it, it, it's interesting because when, when, when we talk through this, um, uh, you know, we need to watch our tendency. You know, we, we need to be willing to stand up for ourselves and, and speak the truth, but then to be able to move on from that. And so we, we, we have here, you know, these, these three things in resisting temptation. There's, we're going to wrestle with guilt. Um, we're gonna, we need to choose right. There is a place that we choose what to do and to be confident in God. Well, I want to talk through a little bit more now the, the personal, emotional dynamics of doing that. Um, and so this is the uh, backside of your notes. Things to remember when you're mistreated. The first thing is expect to be mistreated. We all are. And we're going to be mistreated again. And, and, and I'm a real positive guy. I mean, I, I tend to see life, you know, look for the positive in people, look for the positive in situations. And I have to check myself because I'm wired that way. Sometimes when, when something comes against me, it's like, what is that? Why are they doing that? You know, I didn't do, you know, and you kind of, I didn't do anything wrong, that kind of a thing, rather than, you know what? We, we live in a broken world with dysfunctional people, even Christian people. They're becoming more like Jesus, but they're not there yet. And, and, and these things are going to happen. And as I've taught myself, like, rather than to react to it and to take it personally and say, well, this, this is life. I'm, this is the world I live in. This is going to happen. You know, and so, you know, there, there are going to be temptations to have vengeance on somebody because they're going to have done or said something against you. And uh, you just, you, you, you need to learn to wire yourself to realize that that's going to happen. Okay, once that happens, once you're mistreated, the next thing you need to remember 
is anticipate feelings of revenge. Let's just be honest. The normal feelings is, I'm going to get you for what you did to me. That's just normal feelings. It's kind of a defense mechanism that we have. You know, that, that we're going to you know, get back. Uh, I'm going to retaliate. Um, uh, <clears throat> now, now we're, we're, these are feelings of revenge. You haven't done anything at this point. These are just feelings you know, that rise up. And to be honest with you, handling of mistreatment doesn't come naturally. It's something we have to learn. We have to, you know, remind ourselves of the elements of it. That's what I'm doing this morning, is reminding you of some of the elements of it and how to handle it when, when somebody's coming at you and somebody's falsely accusing you. It doesn't come naturally. What comes natural is those feelings rising up. Defense or to strike out. That's one of the reasons that Jesus says to us, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. As those feelings are rising up and you're thinking about how you're going to get them, okay, how would you like them to interact with you if it's reversed? You know, that's a revolutionary statement to help us, you know, when we're going through challenging times to uh, figure that point out, uh, how that's going to work. You know, the feelings will come, but are they going to be the driving force are you, are you going to let the feelings dictate how you respond and how you treat someone else? And this is a place where, in the process, we can invite the Holy Spirit in. You say, Lord, I've got these feelings. You know, and, and, you know, and they're just there. It's, you know, feelings just kind of come. And uh, Holy Spirit... You know, the Word tells me that one of the fruits of your dwelling in me is self-control. Help me through this. Help me, yes, be honest about I'm feeling, I'm feeling hurt. Uh, I'm feeling mistrusted. I'm feeling betrayed. But Lord, I, I don't want to let those dictate how I respond in this situation. So that leads us to the third point. We expect mistreatment, anticipate feelings of revenge, but refuse vengeance. <laughs> yeah, all right, that's what I'm feeling, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do what I'm feeling. David's men are saying, come on, David, this is your chance. Get the guy, you know? And, uh, and he's got you know, all those voices, and he's got the voice inside saying, you don't want to do that. You know, you don't, you don't want to live your whole life with the knowledge that you killed the king. See, we don't often think about what we live with afterwards when we take vengeance if we let our emotions, you know, be the driving force. How are you at handling mistreatment? You know, are you good at it? Are you growing in your ability? Is it something that you struggle with? You know, how to, how to handle your mistreatment. You know, or when somebody says something against you or they hurt you or they, you know, they mess out, are you one that you just, you're going to remember that? And you're going to look for a chance to get back at them? You know, your fantasy is going to be that they fail, that they get hurt, you know, that they're damaged. 
If, if, if you live in that fantasy world where you're hoping somebody else is going to fail, dear ones, you're, you're not handling it well. It's got a hold of you. There's, there's a, a root of bitterness in your heart that is working uh, against you. And, and, and you need to be aware of that. And, uh, you know, be... be uh, say, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I know that's my tendency. I'm going I'm to do it differently this time. I'm going to handle it differently this time. In the Bible... I was to ask you, how often do you get to avenge? How often do you get to take something out on somebody that hurt you? The Bible says never. Now, you know, I'm not talking about national defense. <laughs> okay, I'm not talking about the borders, you know, uh, defending our country. You know, uh, I'm not talking about, um, you know, standing up for rights in the public arena. I'm talking about on the personal level. On the personal level. Um, you know, we, we, we are never allowed to do that. Uh, you know, <clears throat> and we've got to guard ourselves against, you know, kind of fanning that flame and going back and revisiting that offense. You know, it, it just puts gas on the fire, you know, when you do that. And so we want to refuse vengeance. And what we do, the way we do that is through forgiveness. We choose forgiveness. You see, the desire for vengeance and revenge, getting even with somebody else, you know, that's gonna, those kinds of temptations are going to happen throughout life. And maybe they've happened with you. Uh, you know, uh, maybe you're in a place where uh, you have a desire for vengeance or revenge because an employer promised you something and then they didn't come through with it. Or uh, a mate who you needed to be there when things were tough uh, was not there. Or a, a, a mom or a dad who failed to be present in your life. Or a, uh, you know, a friend who turned against you and began to spread lies with other people. What about a coach maybe who took you off the field and sidelined you for something that you just thought was foolish? You know, he shouldn't have done that or she shouldn't have done that. Or uh, a teacher who refused to hear you out and uh, ended up giving you a poor grade. I mean, you know, we, we can find in our lives, uh, you know, things like this, temptations that come our way that we have to decide how we're going to handle it. And we don't want to live in the backwash of mistreatment. You know, we want to uh, uh, not be in a place where we're anticipating and looking for a chance to get even with them all the time. You know, and, and in our culture, we call it, it's my rights. I've got to stand up for my rights. You know, I'm not going to be a doormat. You know, I, 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 I do want to say that, you know, when it, when it comes to that, um, you know, we're not, we're not asked to be dishonest about the thing. Uh, and we're not asked to pretend like it didn't happen. Um, you know, those things we don't want to do, but we, we do want to realize whose responsibility it is to repay. And the Scripture says it's God's responsibility. Listen to the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 12. Uh, he puts together a little piece that I think encapsulates a lot of what I've been saying. 
uh, starting in verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you... Now, I want to stop right here. If it's possible, as far as it depends upon you... I think Paul's giving us room to wrestle with guilt, to deal with conscience. You mean, you know, he's not just saying, hey, you guys can do this. No problem. You know, it's, you know, we all have different personalities. We all have different backgrounds. We're all dealing with stuff on different levels as much as is possible for you. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And isn't that what David did? He could have been overcome by evil. There was a temptation before him, but no, he didn't. He overcame evil with good. So we're not excusing things when we forgive. We're not pretending it didn't happen. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to see the person through God's eyes. We're trying to see the situation from God's perspective. You see, the offender is a child of God. And so, vengeance or correcting the situation is God's doing. And one of the things I've discovered in life is that sometimes when God corrects a situation, He doesn't do it the way that I'd like Him to do it. Because <laughs> I'm going, you suck it to Him, God, suck it to Him. You know? He doesn't suck it to Him. It's like, what's the deal? I mean, God, you know what they did to me. Mike, I'm taking care of it, just like I take care of things in your life, and I don't sock it to you, you know, when those kinds of things go on. You know, that, he, that we're, we're, we're letting God have his rightful place. Instead of seeing people that we have problems with as God's failures, what about if we see them as God's projects? Just like you and I are God's projects, Right? Spirit of God is working in our lives to shape us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So David didn't yield, didn't have to live with that on his conscience that he had killed the king. He wrestled through it and he made the right choice. He stated his case and then he went on. Saul goes back to Jerusalem and he continues on, you know, in the desert. Great. Uh, parable in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 18 is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And that's another place that kind of picks up this idea of how we handle the issue of forgiveness. Well, to wrap up, this giant of a temptation comes along and we can imitate the surviving tree. Okay? We can imitate the surviving tree. We can send our roots deep into the mercies and the grace of God and into the Word of God and understanding the heart of God. 
we can invite the Holy Spirit to come into our heart and say, Lord, help me do it. Help me do this. This is not normal. This is not natural. I haven't done it well in the past. Help me do it differently this time. It's going to feel odd. Whenever you do something different, it feels odd. So, Lord, help me walk through the oddness of how it feels to do it your way. And uh, the thing that's uh, so fascinating is that uh, you'll never regret having forgiven somebody. Because that's what God did in Christ Jesus for you and I. Right? He forgave us. Does God regret forgiving us? Do we ever find a place in the Bible, no matter what we're struggling with, that God says, what a mistake I made there? Never. Do you ever regret being forgiven? I don't know about you, but for me, never. And so when we're in that situation, forgiveness is the answer. We can be like that tree. We can survive the bombings of life and still display the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, bless you this morning, Lord, from uh, just this great story about David before he was king and King Saul and how he handled things, Lord. And, and we have the challenge of handling temptations in our life. Lord, I, I pray that, uh, Lord, as we walk forth, Lord, we look at some of the elements of today's message and, and reflect on our own circumstances and say, is there something I can take away that I can do a little differently in my circumstance that uh, I can come out like David came out, uh, honored uh, because I chose right and I extended forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would do that for your people in Jesus' name. Amen.